scripture is from John chapter 19. We'll read from the middle of 16 through verse 30. Would you please stand for the reading of God's holy word. John 19 beginning with the middle of verse 16. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull which is in Aramaic called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother... And the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. May God add his richest blessing to the reading of this portion of his holy word. Will you pray with me, please? Our Father in heaven, we stand on holy ground today. We pray that you would come by the power of your Spirit and that you would preach to us of your Son's death and his crucifixion, his precious blood, his finished work. I am unworthy and unable to preach such wondrous things. What wondrous love is this, O my soul, that caused the Lord of bliss to bear the dreadful curse for my soul. So would you come and speak to us of your wondrous love, as only you can, in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher. In Jesus' name, for his glory. Amen. Be seated, please. Settled. If ever there were a day that seemed completely 
out of control it was that day. If ever there were a day that the human race seemed finally to have done something so awful and heinous as to be absolutely unredeemable, irreversible, and unforgivable. It was that day. If ever there were a day that man seemed finally to have broken loose from God, it was the day that man crucified the Son of God. And yet it was the most settled day in all of history. Everything was completely under control that day. All happened just as it should, exactly according to plan. That day, it was all settled. Now let's look at it. First in this passage, you see that it's all under control. Look at verse 17. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Now we know from the previous passage that Pilate did not want to crucify Jesus. He found no guilt in him. And so he had Jesus beaten with a relatively light beating, hoping it would satisfy the crowd and they would consent to let him go free. But they did not. And now Pilate has ordered a severe beating and Jesus is now being crucified. But the gospel writers do not and John does not focus on the gory details of the suffering inflicted upon Jesus. Of course... We are aware that crucifixion is a horrible death. In fact, the word excruciating is formed from the word crucify. It was a death of slow suffocation. The victim would involuntarily push himself up with his feet nailed down and flex his arms to raise up just enough to keep breathing causing cramps and spasms and it could go on for hours, even days until the dehydration and suffocation ran their course. But John does not describe that to us. All he says is simply, there they crucified him. No graphic description No gory details, just they crucified him. And there are at least two reasons why John does not go into great description of the crucifixion. The first is that at that time people were familiar with the practice of crucifixion and did not need to be told what it entailed. 
But the second and far more important reason John does not describe the details of the crucifixion is simply that that is not the point. No, the point that John clearly wants to emphasize in the way he has framed the narrative is not how horrible crucifixion is. Rather, John's point is that this is supposed to happen to Jesus. John has been preparing us for this all along. You remember way back in chapter 2, the wedding at Cana of Galilee when they ran out of wine and his mother told Jesus about it. He said, my hour has not yet come. And John told us several times that Jesus' hour had not yet come. They tried to stone Jesus in chapter uh, They tried to arrest him in chapter 10, but his hour had not yet come. Then in chapter 12, Jesus said, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Then he said, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. This was the purpose of Jesus coming into the world. This was his appointed hour. This was supposed to happen. But no matter how well John has prepared us, it can still be a hard pill. To swallow. Throughout John, the main theme of John, it is so obvious. It is the relationship of the Father and the Son. The Son came to reveal the invisible Father. The Father is in the Son, and the Son is in the bosom of the Father. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. And John also emphasizes the absolute sovereign control of God. Jesus said, John 6, 44, No man can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. One cannot come to Jesus unless the Father draws you to Jesus. And of course, some will try to wiggle out of that by saying that, well, the Father draws everybody, but He gives us the choice to resist His drawing. But John 6, 37, Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. Not those that cooperate with the Father come to me. All that the Father gives me will come to me. John is clear and adamant that God is absolute and sovereign in control of all things. And that creates, tends to create a dilemma in our little minds. If God really loves His Son, and if God is really in control of everything, And how could he allow this to happen to him? But John tells us here 
The father does not merely allow this to happen to his son. The father planned this to happen. And this passage is full of little evidences of God's sovereign control and purpose in these events. First evidence is in Pontius Pilate. Look at verse 19. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Pilate had this sign written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. In other words, the whole world could read over the cross that Jesus was the King. The true King is dying. Now think of how Pilate's personality is at play here. He did not like the Jews. And he did not want to crucify Jesus, but he feared the angry mob. And when they pressured him and told him, you're no friend of Caesar, Pilate caved and delivered Jesus over to be crucified. Now Pilate, who had caved, has become obstinate again. He has had this sign made to insult the Jews, calling this poor dying man their king. And the chief priest protests, don't write that he's our king, write that he said, he claimed he was our king. And Pilate again, hard-headed, says, what I have written, I have written. You see how Pilate's personality was perfectly suited to this? He was just the type who would cave under pressure and have Jesus crucified even though he knew he was innocent. And then he was just the type to harden again and make a sign proclaiming the gospel message to the whole world. Though he didn't realize what he was doing. You see that God had planned and decreed from before the foundation of the world for Pontius Pilate to be the governor of Judea at that time. Jesus had said to Pilate, you would have no authority over me if it were not granted to you from above. And God overruled all these events to bring about the death of his son. Second, we see God's sovereign control in Jesus' clothing. Look at verse 23. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic, but the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says they divided my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. You see it says in the middle of verse 24 that this fulfilled the scripture. The soldiers divided his garment and then cast lots over his tunic. That fulfills 
the scripture. And then John quotes from Psalm 22, verses 17 and 18. Jesus, or John says, this fulfills what had been written by King David a thousand years before. And David in Psalm 22, a thousand years before Jesus Christ, described the crucifixion. Crucifixion which had not yet been conceived in David's day. By the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he prophesied the crucifixion in detail. But the point is, this was destined to happen. It had been written down for 1,000 years. Thirdly, we see an evidence of God's control in Jesus' thirst. Look at verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, stood there so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. Again, Jesus said, I thirst, which fulfilled the words of Scripture. This time the words of Psalm 69 and verse 21, again, written a thousand years before Jesus. This is taking place exactly according to plan. God revealed this. It was written down a thousand years earlier. It was meant to happen. And then fourthly, fourth evidence of God's control, we see that Jesus lays down his life. Look at verse 30. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. You see that? Jesus bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus is not fizzling out on the cross like everyone else. He is making an offering of himself to the Father. He bows his head not as a weak victim, but as a high priest making a sacrifice in the presence of God. You remember... He had said, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it again. And here we see Jesus in control, in authority, in power, even in his own death. You look at this passage and see that it's all under control. Secondly, you see that it's all finished. Look at verse 30 again. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It's accomplished. It's done. The night before, you remember John 17 and verse 4, Jesus had prayed, I have finished the work thou gavest me to do. It is done. Jesus has done it. The work the Father gave him to do is accomplished. Again, we see John making a clear point. Jesus is honoring his father in his death. Doing the work the father gave him. Offering himself with bowed head to his father. Jesus is honoring his father. 
And he's also honoring his mother. Look at verse 26. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. Here we see Jesus' perfect righteousness, perfect obedience to the law, to the very end. He's keeping the commandments. Honor thy father and thy mother. That's exactly what Jesus is doing in his death. Go back to chapter 18 and verse 40. When Pilate offered to release Jesus, they cried out again, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. With a better translation, he was an insurrectionist. The crowd asked for an insurrectionist, a rebel, to be released, and Jesus was crucified between two fellow insurrectionists. You see, John, or Jesus, was crucified between two rebels on the cross of a rebel. They were anti-authority. And you see, the sign over Jesus' head says He is the King. And we know, ironically, that it is true for Jesus. He really is the King, but that's the sin of Barabbas. He is anti-authority. He is a rebel. He wants to be in control. He wants to be his own king. He will not submit. You see, the sin of Barabbas is literally placed on Jesus' head. That's our sin. All the way back to the fall of man, Genesis 3, what was the crime? Adam wanted to be as God. And Adam's blood runs in our veins, and so do we. We want to be as God. We do not want to submit to authority, to honor and obey. That's the charge on our heads. And here is one man perfectly honoring authority and he's honoring his father in heaven and his mother, a middle-aged widow dependent on Jesus. He's making provision for her care, appointing his beloved disciple to take care of her. One man who never rebelled, always honored authority, took our sinful rebellion on his own head. And he settled it. It is finished. It is done. It is accomplished. There is nothing left to do. His work is perfect. His obedience is perfect. His sacrifice is perfect. He suffered for our rebellion and it is finished. There is nothing we can do good enough to add to it. There is nothing we can do bad enough to take away from it. It is finished.
I say this reverently. And I say it carefully. But you don't owe God a thing. Not for your salvation. It's already paid. It is finished. And that raises a question. If it's all done, why should I have to do anything? And that brings us to our final point. You see that it's all under control. It's all finished. And thirdly and finally, you see that it all makes sense. Look at verse 26 again. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. You see what Jesus is doing? He's calling this disciple, his beloved disciple, that's John, He's calling John to enter into his obedience. Now Jesus is obeying for John. He's obeying for us in our place and it is finished. Yet as Jesus honors his mother, he calls John to honor her too. To share in his obedience not to cooperate or add to his salvation, but in the experience and reception of what Jesus has done for him, John is to become like him. Jesus calls Mary your mother, John's mother, but she's Jesus' mother. You see, this is what it means to be joined to Jesus, to be united to Jesus, to become one with Jesus. His mother is now John's mother. Now it makes sense, doesn't it? To receive all that Jesus has accomplished for us we must receive him we must become one with him we must love him that's the best obedience not to earn or gain something we cannot but in love to the one and in union with the one who has done it all for us to enter into his work and share in his obedience. You see how this works? Look at the last word of verse 27. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.